0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Listen, why don't you uh, grab your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel. We'll start in chapter one. Seemed to be a good place to start at the beginning. Daniel One, we start first verse, read the first seven verses. Daniel One, Verse One. During the third year, of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah, verse two, and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon or Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah, uh, of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captive. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they're well-versed and eat in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace." Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all of them from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff of the king of Babylon renamed them with Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for our time together in your presence. I thank you for our time in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would anoint that time. I pray that you would help us not just to hear and understand, but believe and put into practice the things that that you speak to us today from your word in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen well we're in a series called patriarchs prophets and priests and we're looking at the old testament saints of God who helped to form the foundation of our faith now we looked at Noah and we've looked at Jeremiah for a couple of weeks last week we looked at Job and this week we're gonna we're gonna look at, at Daniel Daniel is perhaps best known for something he didn't do. Daniel didn't get eaten by a lion. Daniel is not upset that he did not get eaten by a lion. He's very glad that he didn't. But there are things about Daniel that are that are even more remarkable. Things that he did do that are even more remarkable than the thing he didn't do. All right? So he uh, he lived a remarkable life in, uh, in the mo- among some of the most important people of his day, it's really some of the most important people in the history of Western civilization. He served four different kings in three different kingdoms or empires uh, from 603 B.C. To 539 BC. Over 60 years in the service of the most powerful men in the world at that time Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar of Babylon, uh, Darius uh, of the the Median Empire, and Cyrus of the Persian Empire. Uh, and, And it was incredible, not only the things that he saw and did, but the way he was able to maintain his faith. In the Lord throughout his tenure in these palaces of power. Now, Daniel and his three buddies were taken captive, among a whole bunch of other guys, too, taken captive from Judah and brought to Babylon. And this happened during the ministry of Jeremiah. Now, we spent a couple of weeks studying Jeremiah. This is what Jeremiah had spent his 40 years of ministry telling them was going to happen. It happened, and it happened to Daniel and his three friends. They were strong. They were young. They were smart. They were handsome. The whole group was. That was a prerequisite. That a pre- Most of us would be unemployed if those, that was the prerequisite, right? So they, they were well-educated in, well in Hebrew, in the language and literature of their own country. But when they got to Babylon, they started a three-year course of study uh, so that they could learn the, the literature and the history and the culture of Babylon so they could serve as royal advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Daniel is one of my favorite books, and there's a ton of stuff to talk about. But today, I just want to zero in on one thing. I want to talk about Daniel's character. I want to talk about his character. The message is is called Character Counts. Character Counts. And it's going to take us a couple of weeks to get through this. We have become a society that's more interested in charisma than in character. I'm going to let that sit there for a second and let you think about it. We are more interested as a group, as a whole, in charisma than character. And it's true, unfortunately, in the church as much as it is in the world at large. We've, we've developed social media tools that allow people with charisma to promote themselves to consumers of their content who have no ability and no apparent interest in verifying their character. The message that they're sending is clear. As long as you're interesting, as long as you're entertaining me, I don't really care what you're like on the inside. That's what that's what we're saying when we're consuming the content of people that we don't even know. I heard an experienced uh, mentor pastor who works with a lot of young pastors a, a, a couple of weeks ago, and he said he said that a lot of the young pastors are are, are now more concerned with widening their reach. And expanding their platform than they are deepening their character and developing wisdom. We've become a country of shooting stars. They're exciting and attention getting, but they're quick to burn out. Why? Because character, I mean, charisma develops faster than character. Here's how Pastor T.D. Jakes said it Your gift will carry you where your character can't keep you. And with today's tools, you can get famous quick. But technology has not come up with a substitute for character. And it's usually character that brings these charismatic guys down. Charismatic in the sense that they have charisma. That's not a, that's not a slight about uh, charismatics as a church. All right? we've, we've talked a good bit about calling in the last few weeks. No matter what your calling is, Whether you're called to serve in the church or in the marketplace, hear me clearly today. Start with character. Character still counts. Don't try to go higher until you go deeper. Don't be afraid of working hard when nobody's watching Go do the hard stuff. Don't shy away from the difficult things. It's it's God who will exalt you when he thinks you're ready. But if you exalt yourself, then now you have taken on the task of keeping yourself where God didn't place you. But when he puts you there, he will have already developed the character that you need to stay there. Listen, you will shipwreck your calling if you don't develop the character to sustain it over time. Character still counts, even today. Now, character counted in Daniel's day as well. It wasn't valued. It's not really valued in our culture, but it still counts. They valued in his day, they valued politics. It's a good thing we've outgrown that, right? And we don't do that kind of mess anymore. They they valued power and wealth and influence. It was about politics and position, outmaneuvering each other to get the king's attention and affection. Daniel wasn't buying none of that. He was not what he was focused on. He focused on character, and, and, and he let God take care of the rest. And boy, did God take care of the rest in his life. Let me show you how Daniel's character shined through in his 60-year service to the crown. Three ways, and we're going to talk about one of those ways today. And, and, and hopefully we'll pick up the other two next week. And, and here's the first way that, that Daniel's character shined through. And that's with clarity. Clarity. Daniel's character revealed itself in clarity. That means Daniel was clear about the important things. Please understand, he was in a, 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 he was in a brand new world. He was in Babylon and he had really no hope of getting out. He could very easily have decided to forget about his past. He's like, well, I'm not in Israel anymore. Just forget about all of that. I'm just going to embrace the culture and the belief systems of the Babylonians. It it would have been the smart play politically. It would have gained him favor, would have gotten him promoted. But Daniel's character was strong, and it gave him clarity. He didn't need to reassess. He didn't need to rethink the God he believed in was just as much God in Babylon as he was God in Jerusalem. His captivity was going to change how he was able to operate, but it was not going to change Daniel at his core. He had, he had complete clarity about his core values, and that made his decisions clearer. Now, it didn't necessarily make them easier, but it made them clearer. Okay? When I first started, 10 years ago, I first started as lead pastor here, m- maybe the hardest things, uh, the hardest thing for me to do was to get clarity on what are the important things? What, what, are, the, what are the things, what are the hills I'm willing to die on? There, there are so many things involved in leading a church, really leading any organization, but it feels like the stakes are higher when you're leading a church, right? Because there's, there's right and wrong uh, involved here. And so uh, there were so many decisions, so many potential directions, so many voices in your ear. And I'll be honest with you, I I had spent 20 years on staff following somebody else's direction, serving other people. I didn't have to make decisions about that. That wasn't my that wasn't my role. But but about 6 years uh, ago, Valerie and I admitted that we were, at that time, we were leading a church that we probably wouldn't attend. We had to have that conversation. And, and I went out in the woods. I'm just a country boy from Clem, y'all. When things get tough, I run in the woods, all right? Um, I went in the woods by myself for a few hours until me and the Lord got some clarity about some things. And it made all the difference in the world. I had to figure out who I was. I had to figure out which are the, which are the hills that I'm willing to die over. Who, who is it that I have to be? What is it that I actually believe? And so I spent that time in, in the woods with the Lord. But I want to encourage you today. In a world that's a blur of beliefs and a whirlwind of ways to go. Get clarity. Get clear about who you are and what you believe. Get clear about who you want to be and where you want to go. Get clear about what God does and does not say. Read it for yourself. Find out for yourself. Because when push comes to shove, I'm not going to be there with you when you have to make decisions about what's right and what's wrong. You need to know what you believe. Get clear about the calling of God on your life and the ways that you want to live that out. That was the most important moment of my life as a leader, and that was in June of 2016. Everything we're doing now as a church and everything that I am today, I can trace back to those gut-wrenching hours in 2016. When I have to make a decision now, I ask myself these questions. Does this express who God made me to be? Right. I don't care who else is doing it. I don't care if it's working somewhere else. Is this who I am, who God made me be? Does it line up with what I believe? Does it take me closer to where I know I'm supposed to go? Is this in keeping with the character of Christ that's trying to express itself in me? And again, it doesn't make the decisions easier, but it does make them clearer. And that helps you stand even when you have to stand by yourself. It helps you close your eyes when you put your head on your pillow at night and know that was hard. I don't ever want to do that again, but I know I did the right thing. Clarity really is an expression of character, and character counts. So there's three ways that I want to talk about today that, that, clarity, uh, that you need to get clarity uh, about. And, and I want to talk about those. The first area that you need to get clarity about is identity. Identity. You say, well, shouldn't we get clarity about what we believe first? That Doesn't belief create identity? I don't, I, I'm not sure you can separate belief and identity. What you believe and who you are are woven so tightly together. I'm not sure you can separate it. Daniel was clear on what he knew, what he believed, but he was also clear about who he was. Identity is huge. I don't know that you can overestimate uh, or overstate the importance of identity. And I want you to see this. So I want you to think about this. You tend to act like the person you believe yourself to be. Now, don't just let that go in one ear and out the other. Think about it. You tend to act like the person you believe yourself to be. Identity and beliefs go hand in hand. i want to show you how it played out of Daniel's life. Uh, in the same chapter, next verse, verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the permission of the chief of staff not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Uh, But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who's ordered you to eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And this is what he said. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food, then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to uh, Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. By the way, if you've heard of a Daniel fast, that's where that comes from, vegetables and water. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. And so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided to the others. Listen, you have to get clear on your identity. Daniel got really clear about who he was, and it made all the difference. It was a sign of the depth of character that Daniel had. He not only knew exactly what he believed, so he knew what the law said about the food he was supposed to eat, but Daniel also knew exactly who he was. He said, I'm a Hebrew no matter where I live. He said, I'm one of God's chosen people. And that identity and that belief system didn't change because his geography changed. What he believed about God determined what he believed about himself. He knew who God was, He knew what God had said, and that meant he knew who he was. And because he had clarity about his identity, his decision was clear. He refused to eat the things that violated his identity. Now, in the scripture that we read at the beginning, the four Hebrew boys uh, were given new Babylonian names. It's been a really common practice through through the ages um, to rename your captives. European sa- uh, settlers did it to African slaves. They did it to Native Americans. If you give them a different name, then they start to identify more with who you want them to be than who they truly have been. And it is startlingly effective. If, if what you believe helps to define your identity, then redefining your identity works backwards Until it redefines your beliefs. You can't separate the two. You know where they learned that? That your identity helps to change your beliefs? From God. It's just they used it for evil purposes when God used it for good. Identity is powerful. Let me show you this. When God was carving out the nation of Israel, he wanted them to be his chosen people. God said, you're not Abram anymore. You're Abraham. He said, you're not Sarah anymore. You're you're Sarai. He said, you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. In the New Testament, he said, you're not Saul, the persecutor. You're Paul, the apostle. You're not just Simon, the fisherman. You're Peter, the rock. You've got to know who you are. Just like the Babylonians did with Daniel and his friends, the world we live in will try to rename you. They'll try to separate you from your true identity. The enemy will try to make you believe that you are somebody that you're not. You have to get clarity about who you are. If you're you're a believer, you have to get clarity about who you are and, most importantly, whose you are. See, the world will tell you, the enemy will whisper in your ear "You're, you're just a loser. You're broken. Nobody would, nobody, God can't use you. You're dirty. You, you've been abandoned. You're alone. Nobody cares about you. You're dumb. You're ugly. You're nobody. You're a waste of time and a waste of space. But if you've surrendered your life to Christ, you're a child of the king and an heir to his throne. You Listen, don't say amen because you believe it about the people you're sitting beside. You believe it about yourself. Because if it don't work for you, then you can't apply it to anybody else. You're a child of the king and an heir to his glory. You are his chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart and anointed for God's work. You're forgiven and righteous in God's eyes. You're redeemed. You're called. You're set apart. You're gifted. You're recreated in Christ Jesus with a specific assignment to do. You are dearly loved. You are highly valued. You are always accepted. And you will never be alone. That's the truth. That's who you are if you're a believer. And everything else is a lie. What does it say? Let God be true. Everything else a liar. You say, well, okay, John, that's fine, but I'm just not a very good believer. I I haven't earned those things yet. It's not about earning anything. No, you haven't earned it because you can't earn it. If you could have earned it, God wouldn't have had to send his son to die for you. This is who you are because God said that's who you are. And he provided the way through his son, Jesus, for you to be those things. You can't earn it. This ain't the Boy Scouts. It's not a merit badge. You are because he said you are. Nobody can earn it because none of us is righteous on our own. And guess what? When you surrender yourself to the Lord, you don't suddenly get righteous on your own just because you're saved. You are still justified by faith. And it's always faith in the righteousness of Christ. That's who you are. Period. You know why the army puts everyone in a uniform? It's an identity thing. It doesn't matter what you used to be. When you show up there, everybody looks the same i, I got to tell this. So, Zach went to the Army in 2012, and Facebook was just beginning to be a thing, and so they had this new Facebook group, and so I went to track his, they would take pictures of the things that they were, some of the things they were doing, and they put them on the Facebook page. So, I found him, and I made it in my background on my desktop. Y'all remember those? Uh, on your computer? And so, and when I look at it, I'd, I'd pray for him and, and man, it was just the longest eight weeks of our lives. And so uh, he came home and I said, Hey boy, I've been praying for you. You're right here on my desktop. I'm praying for you. He, he looked around. And he said, uh, pop. I said, yeah. He said, that ain't me. <laughs> I said, excuse me. He said, that ain't me. That's in your, he's freezing he's Texas right now. So, will you get inured on the phone and you tell him, I prayed for him for eight weeks. I don't know who prayed for you, but you lived through it. They all looked the same. <laughs> Brought that boy into this world. Had no idea who he was. I did meet this boy one time, finally. I said, I've been praying for you, kid. You should shut up and leave now. Um, when, when you put on the uniform... All the other stuff goes away. It does not matter what your title was, what your, if you got a degree or not, what your education level was, what your bank account says. None of that means anything once you put on the uniform. You have a new identity. You're a soldier. And that's what they call you all day, every day. Soldier, soldier. They call you other things, but we can't talk about that today. But soldier, soldier. Why? Because they strip away the old you and they put you in new clothes that you really haven't even earned yet. You don't even understand yet what it means and what it's going to demand of you. But when you put it on, you get this sense of a greater purpose that how you conduct yourself reflects on everybody else. That how you conduct yourself demonstrates that you have this new sense of purpose. That your right to be a soldier was paid for with the blood of those who went before you. And you better show some respect for how much it costs to wear that uniform. What did Jesus say to us in Ephesians chapter 4? He said, put off your old man and put on the new man. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with righteousness, not your righteousness. That's why you got to change clothes. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of Christ. Clothe yourself with character that reflects not who you want to be or, or who you're going to be, but put it on that reflects the character of who you are as a child of the King. I wish we did a better job and and I am, I'm, I'm just learning as I go. I I wish we, we had done a better job in the church of, of teaching identity before we start worrying about the list of do's and don'ts. Like they didn't put it in on a piece of paper, but I pretty much got a whole list of things that you weren't supposed to enjoy anymore. list of things you're supposed to do and not supposed to do. You're supposed to say and not supposed to say. And and that's fine. You can learn it and you can do it, but you don't understand why. You never get the why. So I thought character was, was always expressed in how you act. It is expressed in how you act, but it starts way before that. Identity comes before activity. Identity comes before activity. So get settled in your mind about who you are in Christ before you ever worry about what you're supposed to do. Everybody okay? I know that goes against like 50 years of teaching you've had in church, but that's what the book says. Get to know who you are. Now, here's, here's a second way, the thing you need to get clarity about um, if you're going to express... Your character, and that is, so the first is identity, the second is activity. Activity. Uh, Get clear about your identity first, but then you'll be clear about how you're supposed to act and what decisions you're supposed to make. Realize the goal of all your activity is, is for you to look like Christ. As a believer, you represent the king and the interests of the kingdom. That's the activity of a person who is clear about their relationship with Jesus the king. When you realize uh, who you are, then you don't want to act in ways that would hurt him because you're his child, you're his son. You, you, you don't want to act in ways that would disrespect him or interfere with your relationship. Sin disrupts your intimacy and it defies your, in, your identity. Once you get clear about that, it gets easier to walk away from the things that defile But it'll never work with you trying to earn your way into intimacy and relationship. You start with identity and then the activity works its way out. It doesn't work from the outside in. Character does express itself in what you do. But you have to know who you are before you can know what to do. That's what what Daniel did. He knew who he was. Because he knew who he was, he knew what he had to do. To do identity before activity. In the parable of the prodigal son, when the father and the son were reunited... Um, the father didn't ask him when he came back, he didn't ask him to swear off his sinful behaviors. He didn't give him a piece of paper to sign a, a contract to sign that says, I won't ever do these crazy things again. It, did, did he want his activity to change? Yes. Did he want his son to act the way he was supposed to? Yes. But that's not where he started. And I want to show you this in Luke 15, the, the father said to the servants, um, quick, bring the finest robe in the house. And put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So let the party begin. Alright? He started with the things that identified him as a son. He He didn't even ask him to bathe. The dude had been feeding hogs. He'd been slopping pigs. He was nasty. He smelled like a pig, literally. And he came to the son, to the father, and the father embraced him and kissed him and said, hey, he didn't say, get get a a bath, get a bath drawn for this boy. He said, bring me the robe, bring me the ring, bring me the sandals. He's going to look like my son. Not because of where he is and who he is and what he's done, but because he's my son. Amen. He changed his identity again. He, he's, he said, you're, you're no longer a, a pig slopper. You're my son. And when you understand who you are, then you understand who you have to be and what you have to do. Je- Jesus called four rough fishermen to follow him. Peter and Andrew, James and John. John. Jesus didn't set up the rules of their activity. He changed their identity. What did he say to them? He said, yeah, I know you're fishermen, but uh, as of today, you're fishers of men. He changed their identity before he even gave them their activities. Listen, if you've been having a hard time changing your behavior, if you've been having a hard time taking a stand for the right things, for maintaining your integrity, then maybe you need to start with a revelation of who you are. Be sure that you have truly repented and come to Christ and surrender, but then start learning about your identity, your relationship with him. Learn about how much he loves you. Learn about how much you're worth to him. You will behave like the person you believe yourself to be. Identity comes before activity. Now, there's one one last way that character expresses itself. Uh, Through clarity, you you have to get clear about your ability. So identity, activity, and ability. You have to get clear about who you are and what you believe. you got to get clear about what you're supposed to do. But you also have to get clear about where your help comes from. People who are truly clear about their identity... Now, listen to this, because this sounds like a contradiction, but they are both humble and confident at the same time. Not arrogant, humble and confident. I'm going to show you a great example from Daniel's life. Uh, The king had a disturbing dream, and he wanted to know what it meant, but he didn't want to tell them what the dream was. So the command was, tell me what I dreamed, and then tell me what it means. And of course the advisors are like, that's crazy. Like nobody does that. Who in the world? He's just tell me the dream and we'll, and we'll tell you what it means. He's like, Nope, that's not how this is going to work. Cause I'm the King. And I say, so if you don't tell me what the dream was and what it means, I'm going to kill all of you. Every last one of you. So the executioner shows up to Daniel's room <laughs> and says, uh, Hey Daniel, how you doing, buddy? Hey, listen, I'm here to kill you. Uh, and he was like, what meaneth this? And so he, uh, they told him what was going on. And he said, just go tell, just give me a second, please. And, and, and tell the king, I'll, be, I'll come tell him what the dream was. I'll come tell him wh- what it meant. Just give me a minute. All right, so look at, 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 um, at, at Dan. He came back. So he went to the king and said, hang on just a second. And he came back and, and he, they had a prayer meeting. Because that's what you do when the executioner shows up at your door. Daniel went home, told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, what had happened. Daniel chapter 2, verse 17. Verse 18 says, he urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret. So they would not be executed, (laughs) along with the other wise men of Babylon. That seems reasonable. Verse 19, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven verse 27, Daniel replied to the king. He said, there's no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. In other words, ain't nobody knows what you dream king. You're nuts. He didn't really say that, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what'll happen in the future. And now I'm going to tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what's going to happen. And it's, look at this, it's not because I'm wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Daniel remained humble and dependent upon the Lord. He didn't panic about the impossibility of the task. Nor did he arrogantly brag about his ability to do it. He didn't send words and say, you tell the king I got this. That's not, that's not it at all. He simply had enough faith to ask God for the ability to do what he needed to do to save himself and, the, and his friends. And to bring glory to God in front of the most powerful heathen king in the world. Listen, our ability comes from our submission to the power of God to work in our lives. First is identity, then it's activity, and then it's ability. We really can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Not everything you want, everything God wants. Everything he's called you to do, he will give you the ability to do. Not by your might, not by your power, but by his Spirit. Listen, the opposite of faith is not fear. You can do things in faith and be scared to death. The opposite of faith is pride. Because people of pride do things in their own power for their own glory, for their own advancement. People of faith operate only in God's power and they give God all the glory. That's why we're still talking about Daniel 2,600 years after he lived. That's why his name is mentioned not just in the Bible but in the secular writings and records from the Babylonian and the Persian and the Median empires. He was a man of great character who had incredible influence over the most powerful people of his day. We need men and women of character in this day who share the character of Daniel which is the character and the nature of Christ character still counts even today but it starts with getting clarity about the most important things in your life particularly about your identity in Christ I want you to stand with me if you don't mind This is one of the things that maybe, that maybe the church is lacking the most. And that's understanding who you are. And I, well, John, I don't know about all this casting out demons and about all the preaching. You need to know who you are just so you can live tomorrow. Okay? Don't get ahead of yourself. You, Jesus said you are victorious through him. We, we miss the through him part sometimes everything about this walk with christ is about finding our place in him who we are depends on who he is and so it's important for you to find that out if if you you know the battlefield is right here right y'all know the battlefield is right here between your ears what you believe about yourself is who you're going to become so what's the internal dialogue like inside your head Do you put yourself down all the time? Do you hear the voice of your accuser? Do you hear the voice of the negative Nancy's in your life? Do you hear the voice of the people who put you down all your life? Do you hear the voice of the person that said, man, you ain't worth a lick? I heard one of the the most famous Christian singers of, of the 80s and 90s said he was raised by a Pentecostal preacher who had a drinking problem. And said he would, he would preach the lights out on Sunday and then go home and be drunk from, from Monday through Saturday. And he said, boy, I'd shoot you, but you ain't worth a bullet. That's the home he grew up in. That's what he heard day in and day out. And it messed with his mind. You become the person you believe yourself to be. So if you've got all of these voices in your head that are telling you otherwise, then you have got to start speaking the truth into your brain about who you are. And who you are is determined by who God says you are, not by who anybody else said. Okay, so this is the way that I I feel like this altar call needs to go. I don't know that it's about coming to an altar, and we're going to pray, and y'all can pray about anything you want to. You need to determine in your heart that when you walk out of this place today, you're going to start filling your brain with what God says about you. And if if you want me to send you the list of things that we just talked about, that God says who you are, I'll send it, I'll text it to you, I'll email it to you, I'll do whatever you want. You need to get it in your head. If you need to say it to yourself in the mirror every morning, do it. If you need to write it on postcard, on index cards, and just randomly place them around the house, do it. In your car, in your briefcase, in the drawers of your desk, you just randomly put your identity all over the place. You do whatever you have to do to reprogram this brain of yours. You are not a loser. You are not dirty. You are not broken. You are not beyond repair. God can use you. He will use you. He created you so he could use you. Just believe who you are in Christ. Now we're going to pray. Corey's going to sing another song and and we're going to... open this altar for anybody who wants prayer about anything, it can be about this it it, it can be, you may say John that's too much, I don't know if I can do that you don't know what I've been through, then come and let's pray about it let's pray for the strength for you to believe isn't that what the man said to to Jesus hey listen, I believe but you got to help me with my unbelief so maybe you're not strong enough on your own come and let us pray for your faith maybe you've got something else going on you need healing in your body, a financial issue a relationship issue, whatever's going on Come on, let's pray about it. But when you leave, determine in your heart that you're going to walk out your identity in Christ, believing who He said you are. And then before we all leave, we have, we have somebody that's going to join the church today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these, your people. Thank you that you claim us, you name us, you call us your own. I thank you that holiness has a name and it's Jesus. That victory has a name and it's Jesus. And Lord, our identity has a name and it's Jesus. It's who Jesus said we are. And I pray, God, that you would help every one of us that when the accuser comes and starts chirping in our ear about all the things that we're not, that we would fight him with all the things that you say we are. And, Lord, that you would transform us, that this body of believers would begin to rise up in faith, believing more in what the Word says they are, more in what you say they are, than in what the enemy tries to convince them of. And, Lord, may we rise up in faith and become the body of Christ that you've called us to be. Lord, draw every person to this altar today that you want to meet here and meet their needs. And, Lord, we just thank you for the chance to cast all our cares And all our burdens upon you. Because you care for us. In Jesus name.
0: Amen.